The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think, feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger, or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hey brothers, welcome back to the Liberation Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Gregoriadis. Got some really exciting news for you guys today. So I was thinking about how I would tell you about this. And uh, I guess I'm just going to go stream of consciousness. So the show has a new sponsor and it is a company called 100%. You can find it at 100%.health. Now, full disclosure, I own 50% of this company. It's something that I've been working on for almost 10 months now. A friend of mine and I, um, we did an ayahuasca ceremony on top of a mountain in Hawaii 10 months ago. And we both had this idea uh, <laughs> right after one of these ceremonies that we wanted to start a health and wellness company. And um, just one of those things, you know, in life, certain things are just meant to be and they just flow really well and everything just, it's almost like it was divinely inspired. Well, this was one of those things for us. And so um, my business partner's name is Shane Eitner, who I'm going to have on the show soon absolutely amazing human being. We recorded an episode with him uh, last week and it'll probably come out in a week or two. And what we're doing with 100% is we're creating products that we would want to use ourselves, right? That's that's the one of our prime directives is we would never try to sell anyone something that we wouldn't use ourselves. And our first product is a nootropic formula called BDNF, which stands for the best damn nootropic formula. Um, BDNF also stands for brain-derived nootrophic factor, which is, so we kind of did a little play on that. Um, for those of you in the know, those nootropic junkies out there. And basically this was a formula that Shane had been testing and playing around with and trying for almost 10 years. You know, I've had my own pretty checkered past with nootropics. I used modafinil a lot when I was in Thailand, when I was living there. And it really worked for me. It was incredibly powerful. It helped me write my first book on jiu-jitsu uh, in less than two weeks. And it, it, I mean, it just massively improved the way my brain functioned. But the problem is it started to have serious negative side effects for me. And I mean, really serious ne negative side effects. Like I'd get weird ulcers in my mouth and like flu-like symptoms and depressed for weeks. And so I had to stop taking it. But the thing is, it was so effective. It kind of... um you know, I had to try to find something else because once you've been operating at 100%, it's very difficult to go back down to 60%. So for several years, I tried over-the-shelf nootropic supplements and uh, I never had great results. Truly, I never had great results. Sometimes something would do a little bit, like it would make me feel a little bit more switched on or maybe give me a strange dream or just make me feel a little bit sharper, but generally nothing much happened or I got some really weird side effects. Like I took some this Russian research chemical called Nupept a couple of years ago, and that gave me a massive headache for three days. And then, you know, just generally the stuff wasn't, wasn't great. And so when, and I always wanted to do my own nootropic formula. So when Shane told me he'd been working on something for years, I just knew that that was going to be our first product. And we finally formulated it and tested it. The story behind this stuff, guys, I know I'm going on about it, but uh, it, I contacted 103 suppliers or manufacturers before I found one that was going to do something at the quality that we wanted. Because um, there's a lot of a lot of sharks I've realized in the supplement game. And you know me, my I really am committed to authenticity. And as I said earlier, I would never want to sell you something that I don't use myself. And I use this product myself four times a week. And it, it is absolutely incredible. I truly believe I'm not just saying this, that it is the best nootropic product on the market. Um, what it'll do is, uh, what I've noticed it does for me is it improves my memory and my recall, improves my motivation. It even has some mood enhancing effects. Um, I'm able to focus on, on boring tasks a lot more easily, like with effortless um, focus. And it just generally makes me the best version of myself, right? Which is what I'm always trying to be. Uh, so just to let you guys know, we are running a launch, uh, a pre-launch special because uh, we're only shipping from the 21st of June. 
But if you order before then at 100%.health and use the code BDNF25, you'll get 25% off. And as I said, that discount is limited until the 21st of June uh, when we start shipping. Now, if you're listening to this episode after the 21st of June, don't worry, you can still get a discount. We're going to do a 15% discount for all listeners of the show. So you can use the code liberation 15 at checkout and you'll get 15% off. So just a reminder, guys, go and try my new nootropic formula. It's amazing. I promise you, I give you my word. You know, I'm an honest guy. This is an incredible product. Head over to 100%.health, choose the product BDNF, best damn nootropic formula. And at checkout, put in the coupon code BDNF25 for 25% off if it's before the 1st of June and Liberation 15 if it's after the 21st of June. So after that uh, little sales pitch, let's get into the show. It is, I don't want to say, it's a privilege to be able to speak to this gentleman, but it's kind of sad that I have to speak to him because we're talking about the events that are happening in America at the moment with all the rioting and the, the abuse and death of George Floyd. You know, I love America. I've always loved it, but there's a hell of a lot wrong with it. And I'm trying to figure out what the, what the problem is. And this conversation goes to some interesting places with my friend, Gerald Garland, very, very intelligent man. One of the most intelligent people I know, but a very unassuming, very humble guy. And you kind of have to dig to get the stuff out of him. He's not someone who stands on a soapbox shouting stuff, right? And the thing is, he's an African-American. The truth is, I don't have that many African-American friends. And when it comes to stuff like this, uh, his opinion means a lot to me. So I hope you guys enjoy this show. And um, here we go. Hey guys, welcome back to the Liberation Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Gregoratis. Today's show is, um, I think, a special one. You know, I really don't like being someone who jumps on on bandwagons or trending topics or things like that, because I've always thought that that was kind of cheap and kind of lame um, to try to use those types of things for most people just use them for their own gain or for their own popularity. And that's really not what I'm trying to do here. I just wanted to talk about what happened with um, the incident with George, George Floyd, because it just really made, me, really made me upset, to be honest. There's no other way to put it. So I wanted to speak to my friend Gerald, who is an African-American. I'm not going to be pretend I know loads of African-American people because I don't. But uh, Gerald has become a close friend. He's someone who lives near me here in Arizona. And he's always got interesting insights on politics. And I think like, he'll have some great some great insights on this. So, Gerald, thanks for, for agreeing to chat to me about this, brother. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Man, I mean, where do we start? Like, this is, you know, I just put a post on my Instagram the other day saying how how proud I am to be living in America and to be on en route to become an American citizen. And then I see shit like this. Dude. You still should, though. You still should. Yeah. Because the thing is, in, in, in every country, there are things that are wrong and there are things that are right. And even though things that are wrong there are a lot of places that are doing a lot worse than us. That's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. So still having said that, I think this is something that needs to be addressed, dude. Um, look, bro, I come from a, I come from a place that's fucking basically had racism ba- baked into the system, right? South Africa. Oh, you too? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, an example, when I was a little kid, I remember very clearly my mom took me to a little park and I was playing on the on the the jungle gym and the the teeter totter and stuff and just having fun. And I remember there was a a black lady. She was a worker. She was obviously like a a, a household mm-hmm. maid or something like that. I mean, she obviously wasn't a wealthy person. And um, her little kids wanted to play on the on the stuff, and she couldn't. They couldn't because you know the segregation was so powerful there. Like literally, it was illegal for black people to do mm-hmm. to do stuff like that, which. I mean, it just makes. To be honest, when I when I'm when I think of that story, it makes me feel sick to my fucking stomach, dude. Like, just it. it anyway, and my mom would would tell me stories of how she saw people getting beaten up by the police there in South Africa, and and she she went to report at this one police station. How they really she saw this this drunk black guy getting just absolutely beaten up by the police and got thrown in a car trunk and. They slammed down the trunk lid on his fingers and just like horrific shit, right? And she went to report this. And then the next day, like cop car was kind of like following her and like trying to intimidate her and stuff. And I don't know, man, it just seems like, yeah, I don't even know where to go with this. G. It's just, what do you think is 
Let, let's let's start with the big the big question, right? Which is, what do you think the root of racism is? Well, um, actually, I think we even start, should start one step back, all right, and establish a baseline, right? Because I think that whenever whenever there are talks about talks about ethnicity and race and racism or whatever. Sometimes people misinterpret and they think that someone's angry if they're if they're uh, complaining about it or if they if they say that this is wrong and needs to get fixed they're they're angry or something. So you know me, dude. I'm not an angry person. You know what I mean? No, no. I I uh, so I, I just want to establish that baseline that I'm looking at this from a 40 year old person who is literally a first generation in his family to be born as a full citizen in America. Okay. Um. And the only difference between you and me, you think about this, the only difference between your country and my country is one generation. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Because because my father was born in 1942 in South Carolina. Right. And he wasn't considered a full citizen back then? No, my dad wasn't a full citizen until he was done being in the Navy. Wow. My dad was born in 42. We didn't have civil rights until 65, I think. So so my dad wasn't born a, born a, a, a full American. You know what I mean? Jeez, it wasn't even that long ago. That's what I mean. That's what That's one thing that I think people don't understand is that is that there are people right now whose parents were born not having full rights. So it's not a long, a long jump. But I just want to make sure a couple of things. Like if I say the word, you know, say white people, I'm doing it for to make the conversation go. I don't want to be ultra. I'm not going to be ultra specific and, and say, say uh, uh, that, you know, I'm talking about uh, white people that are that are racist or white people that aren't racist. I'm just talking in generalities. I'm not talking about anybody in specific. If I talk about white people and racism, I'm talking about racist white people. Okay. You know what I mean? Because I don't want anybody to think I think all white people are racist. I have a sure I have a multi-ethnic, multi-continental family. You know what I mean? The problem. The problem racism is an interesting problem because I think it's um it's one of those things that it it's it's from fear. That's all racism is fear, mm-hmm. you know, fear of inadequacy, fear of um, fear of someone's going to take your spot at the top, fear of fear of all that. I don't think that I don't think that racism ever comes from a point of education, understanding or empathy. That's that's very true. I heard something as well, which is that no, no child is ever born racist. Right. And that really, really stuck out to me. Like if you think about a kid coming into the world, like fresh and innocent and pure, like racism just wouldn't be it just it wouldn't exist you have to be taught it you have to, you have to be taught it, it. Yeah. and i i have a lot of friends that grew up with 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 racist families that aren't racist you know and it and it, and it hurts them you know what i mean mm-hmm. so you really you do have to and they actually might have been might have had those thoughts before but they actually opened their eyes and they saw more and they talked to people and understood mm-hmm. you know what i mean racism isn't a isn't a, a dead end you don't have to be racist you don't have to stop there sure sure so you know, you're 43 now? Yeah, 43. 43. What have you, growing up or, or being an African-American in this country, what if you've experienced a few incidences of oh, racism? Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. First of all, I mean, first, just, just, just being, you know, being called the word. And I, I don't like, I don't like sugarcoat stuff. So I like saying being called the word nigger. I like saying that. If you want to edit it, it's fine. No, it's okay. Okay. But I'm saying the word nigger, uh, it, if you're black in America... You've been called that by someone that's not black in America, hundred percent. For real, hundred percent. No, I'm not. I, I'm, I know, I know, I know that. I know, I know. 100%. I'm just speaking from a position of yeah. ignorance. Like to to me, that's just, it just blows my fucking mind. Yeah, hundred percent. You, you, you it, I, I don't know anybody who hasn't been called that. That's wild. I don't know any black males who don't have a police story. Not one. Not one. Not one. You've got one yourself. Yeah, yeah. I got a funny one. Uh, let's hear it. <laughs> so, um, so. Uh, as a kid, I, I used to work in a gro- working in the grocery store. Used to be a great job in the early '90s, right? So, as a kid, I worked in a grocery store in, in, in a town that was next to my town, and that town was uh, predominantly upper middle class, predominantly white. Yeah. So, um, I actually had a girlfriend that lived there too. That went to the high school there because I was a high school kid. And one day, we were um, me and two of my friends. We were going to uh, going to her house, and we were driving down the road in that town, and a and a police car got right behind us, really close. Right. Like, like you could tell he was close to reading my place and all that. So I was just driving and um, then I pulled into a gas station and they passed. But then they turned back around, got into the parking lot across the street and got out of their cars and were looking at us. So, you know me, dude, I'm stupid. So I'm, well, I'm pumping my gas. I wave at him. Right. Yeah. That was a terrible idea. Yeah. So they, they drive off right after I wave at him. 
And then, you know, I pumped my gas and we're driving off. And after about another four minutes, uh, another car came in and pulled us over. And then three, four, three or four cars came around us and a dang helicopter. <laughs> and, and they came up, you know, all cautious and checked my license, registration, proof of insurance. Wow. Okay. So let's go. let's, let's continue that. along this police, this police line. Oh man, it's such a difficult one. Like I've, I've got a friend who's actually, um, an African-American gentleman. He, he became a, a policeman late in life, I think at 30, 37 or 38, just saw him recently. And man, he's just salt of the earth, just a good soul, gentle. He's gentle. He's not. And I know when he got into it recently, he wanted to be one of those guys that changes the system from the inside. Right. And he just, he said to a mutual friend of ours recently, he just said, uh, you know, like he's doing his best to just be cool with people, right? Like to be cool with the community. If someone's doing something wrong, like, or that's bordering on being a criminal, like he'll kind of try to talk to them first. And, and he says, the rest of the cops just tell him he's being too weak and he's being a bitch, right? And he's just got to fucking stamp his authority down. And man, I, it seems like the people who get chosen for that job are the least prepared to do it. No, I don't think that. What I think it is, it's, it all comes down to um, a couple of factors. It comes down to the war on drugs because with the war on drugs, it really militarized our police force and it makes, you know, everybody's a threat. And, you know, we're deployed every day in the war zone of America and all that other stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? So that that's one of the things. I mean, I'm sorry. You can call me soft or whatever. I don't think any police force needs a vehicle that is uh, uh, that's for... Uh, um, you know, protection against IEDs and military strength vehicles. Sure. We don't need that in America. Yeah. You know I, mean, I mean, I mean, I guess now I know you're not a huge conspiracy guy, but this is where we realm, veer into the realms of conspiracy. Like the, the claim is that the reason that those police forces are buying up all that military surplus stuff is because a police state is going to be initiated, which I don't necessarily believe, but it's. I No, I think it's simpler than that. I think that the reason they're buying it is because they can you know, I did law enforcement. I was military for 20 years and I did law enforcement for about half of that. We like cool shit. If you can give me some new cool shit, I'm going to get it. That's, that's, that's the bottom line. And if, if, if we can, if there can be a business or an, and an industry made out of selling military grade equipment to law enforcement, it's going to be made in America. Yeah. That's the way it works. If there's, if there's that vacuum of business, we're going to make it happen. I think it's a, I think it's a training thing. I think it's a training thing and it's a war on drugs thing. The war on drugs. That's another thing, man. Like that, uh, you know, I, as I said, I keep saying I love America. There's, and I always say there's a lot wrong with it, but there's a lot right with it. Mm. One of the things that's wrong with it is, is that war on drugs, man. It's just, it's just wrong. There's just no other way to put it. It's just a misdirected, I don't want to say evil thing, because I think maybe it started with positive intentions, but it just, it just doesn't work. We're a fake puritanical society. Tell me more. We're the society. We're the society that claims to be Christian and claims to do all that. But what country? does the most illicit drugs in the world what country is the most porn produced in the world sure so we're a fake puritanical society so yeah. we like to put the image of we're wholesome when we do this and we do that but wholesome isn't you know dudes doing armed protests in government buildings sure you know what i mean yeah. so we're, we're a fake puritanical society we like the image but we're not really that way. yeah that's interesting that's absolutely fascinating mm -hmm. yeah so i mean what do you when a guy like you sees something like this, it's just happened with George Floyd. Is it, is it to you? Are you desensitized to it? Are you like, that's to be expected or what, what, what goes through your mind? Yeah. So I'm going to speak uh, again. Let me just do a baseline. I'm going to speak on my opinion and the opinion of the people in my close circle around me. I don't speak for all black people. I don't speak against all white people. It's not surprising anymore. You know what I mean? I mean, think about, you know, as a 40 year old man, I remember Rodney King, yeah, right? I remember. not the boxer one that you know, right? The, <laughs> the Rodney King getting getting beat down, you know, for 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 running from the cops in '91. He got beat down by four police officers. Nobody went to jail. No one went to jail for that. No, I just I just read a a, 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 a meme and I got to check it, and it, and it said that Michael Vick spent more time in prison for killing a dog than 493 police officers. Uh, the last 493 police officers did for killing black males. Now, guaranteed. Some of those killings are justified. Guaranteed, probably most of those killings are justified, but a great deal of them aren't. 
See, I'm, I'm really impressed that you can make that statement that some of those those killings are justified. Like, yeah, I mean, just just the law of averages dictates that some of those dudes were criminals that were resisting arrest. I mean, I get that for sure. It has to be. I, you know, trying to put myself in the in the shoes of police. Like, look, let's be honest. Uh, and again, this could obviously some people might interpret that this is. I guess some people might even say this is racist. I don't mm-hmm. think it is, but generally black dudes are better physical specimens than white dudes, right? Like that's why they're better at sports generally. And and if I was a white cop and there's this six foot three black dude who I knew was fucking way stronger than me and could kick the shit out of me, the, the fear, as you said, it's fear. I might be forced to re- like- Totally understand you know, that. But that's where education and understanding come in, right? So the kid, uh, Tamir Rice, 12-year-old kid in Ohio, which is an open carry state, right? He was carrying a BB gun in a park, in a, in a park and, and the cop, the policeman drove up on him and shot him within one second, right? When the policeman called in the situation, he said he had a, a male that was 19 or 20 years old. Tamir Rice was a 12-year-old boy. Have you ever seen a 12-year-old boy that you would say is 20 ever in your life? So this is interesting, and I'll tell you why. Um, I remember a very specific incident that happened to me I would say it was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, the mind is incredibly powerful. For sure. Right? It, it filters things. It distorts things. It creates it creates meaning. And I remember I was walking in a park late at night in London. And about 100, it was it was pretty dark. And I, I couldn't see clearly, but there was a group of people in front of me, a group of four people. And I swear to God, I swear to God, like I was a little bit, it was a sketchy part of, a sketchy part of mm-hmm. London, a sketchy park. I remember thinking, fuck, those dudes look like like thugs, right? Like mm-hmm. I literally in my mind, I saw these four figures as four thug-like dudes. And then when I got closer, it was like, I think it was two couples in their 60s, like like totally, they couldn't be less uh, threatening, right? And I, it for me, it was such an important lesson because I literally saw how powerful my mind was at projecting and putting things on the situation, right? So I can kind of get... You know, you see, you're a cop, you're trained to look for danger, like this fucking, you know, you, a buddy of yours was in a, in a uh, one of your colleagues was in an altercation last week and got threatened or shot or whatever. And you're driving in a park and you see a black kid with a gun and you're, I can kind of get your mind going to the worst possible scenario. You know what I mean? Maybe, but a couple things. Number one, Ohio's an open carry state. So you're allowed to carry guns openly in public, sure. right? Number two, you as a private citizen are very different than law enforcement officer. That law enforcement officer decided to take a job that, that requires inherent risk and should require de-escalation of any situation and the minimum force necessary. That's a right? very good point. So, so um, I just think that those are two different situations, but the, the dynamic is still the same. And it still, still all comes down to training. It all comes down to training. Because if you're trained to de-escalate situations, if you're trained to to, to use interpersonal communication skills and actually talk to people and talk people down, you can get a lot of situations. You can talk a lot of situations down because the bottom line is I guarantee not one of those people that were killed by the police officers wanted to die. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that, I think that at, at that time with the, with the, with the Floyd case at that time, he stopped moving for a period of time. You know what I mean? First, he was handcuffed. After the handcuffs are over, the situation's over. You can't, if you can beat me up handcuffed, you deserve to beat me up. Sure. And it comes down to, this is pretty, this is a pretty provocative quote, but it's actually interesting because it, it, it plays into this story. Um, D.L. Hughley's a comedian and a social commentator. He said that the most dangerous place for a black man to live is in a white man's imagination. So, okay. Explain that to me, please. Tamir Rice was 12 and he, people thought he was 20. Okay. You know what I mean? People have been amazed that I'm hundred only only 170 pounds. Because in their mind, you're a black dude and black dudes are bigger and stronger. You, you see what I mean? That, that's what I mean. It, it's, you, you're seen as a bigger threat just by how you look and who you are. Interesting. That's really, really interesting. Yeah. Okay. So look, I know quite a few cops. Mm-hmm. Most of them are pretty cool. I'll be honest. Like most, oh, 100%. Yeah, most of them are pretty cool. I know a lot of them. And a lot, a lot of cops listen to the show. And I guess, what would you say to the cops out there, you know, the good ones and the bad ones, just about the situation. What, what kind of plea would you make for them to, to just improve and to kind of get to the point where this kind of thing doesn't, doesn't happen anymore? So that's a hard question. 
because I don't, you know, it's one of those things where you don't want to feel like you're telling people, hey, you need to do this and you need to do that. But the bottom line is hold policemen, hold your fellow comrades to the same standards that soldiers hold each other to. I know for 100% fact, I know people that have lost their jobs in the army because they didn't say, they didn't report that someone got a DUI. Interesting. Okay. Not them. They didn't report that someone got a DUI. If you know something that went wrong and you don't report it in the army, you're just as complicit, right? We're kill. We're killers. We're soldiers, right? Policemen aren't soldiers. They're service. They're, they're, they're in service and protecting. Yes. So why should they, why should they be held to a looser standard? Interesting. I mean, funny you mentioned the, they're, they're serve like servants of the, of the people because you know, you remember back in the day when police cars had to protect and to serve on them, right? Like well, some of them did. Some still do. Yeah, some still yeah, do. Some still, okay, I didn't know that. That wasn't that wasn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to me, that's just, you know, like for me, like the guy putting the, and it's oversimplified because I'm not a cop and I don't really deal with, I think it would be different if I'd been working on Skid Row for 10 years and seen the very darkest fucking aspects of human nature, right? And like, but still, when I see a cop car, I don't think my initial reaction is fucking, even for me, a white dude, right? Like my initial reaction is kind of like, I don't want any interaction with this dude. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. want any engagement with, cause no good can come of being interacting with police. Right. Yeah. And to me, that's sad, man. That's fucking sad. Right. Like if, in a, I think if this society was really healthy, it would be amazing for, you know, like that to be like a, a totally different thing. And when you see a cop, you're like, Oh cool. That guy's got my back. You know what I mean? When that guy's well, here to look the thing out. is, certain communities feel like that. Yeah. Not, but every community doesn't feel like that. Sure. You know what I mean? One of the one of the things, um, and they'll never be able to make this happen. You can't make people do this. But if you lived in the community in which you worked, that could change things. When I was, uh, and it's a whole different job. I know I did both of them. Um, but I was a recruiter, and as a recruiter, one of my one of my things that I learned is you need to live where you work. You need to be a part of your community. If you're a part of your community and you're not that police officer, or if you're like, oh, that's Joe, the police officer, yeah. whole different part. It's about building trust in the public because true story, why would anybody that's a minority trust the police in America? I'm not talking about white police, whatever. Why would you trust the police in America? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's what I mean. But if you know the guy and he knows you and I, oh, I went to high school with that guy and he lives, oh, he lives right up the street. I know his sister. We, we go to a church together. Or we go to whatever together. It, it humanizes, it humanizes the person. Exactly. If, if I don't see you as a human, it's easy to, to kill you. It's yeah. easy to get rid of. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I want to make it clear. I had a, I did a show with uh, another cop a while back, a couple, couple years back now. Mm -hmm. And we addressed some of these issues and, you know, I, I think that really helped because people, they have to understand. I, I need to understand the cops are, are just people too, right? They're, they're fallible. People are fallible. And I always think of the, that expression, the thin blue line, right? Like it's garbage. You think, tell me more. Because the thin blue line is literally what keeps bad cops or, or good cops from saying, hey, this dude did something fucked up. That's what the thin blue line is. Oh, we protect our own. And we, 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 we call it, in the army, we just call it closing rank. We closed up and didn't let anybody get in and we protected our own. That's what the thin blue line is. Just like that and blue lives matter, both of those are garbage. Interesting. Yeah, I, I was actually thinking more about- I'm gonna get hate for that one. <laughs> I was thinking more about the the expression that um, the thin, it's the thin blue line that stands between society and anarchy, right? Like if there were no police, uh, but <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to hear your response to this, but the theory is that if we didn't have like the police, then society would just degenerate into the chaos, right? And that that's what keeps the wheels turning, right? Is this I mean, I just I mean, I'm I am not in no way saying we don't need a police force, because that's silly. Mm -hmm. That's silly. But it's hard for me to believe that just because we have police driving around sometimes, that that's keeping us from anarchy. What's keeping us from anarchy is self-preservation. Hmm. Because anarchy is terrible. Anarchy, you can't pay your house note in anarchy. You know what I mean? You can't go to the store in anarchy. That's what's keeping people from anarchy. That's something interesting that you, you said to me, which really changed the way I looked at things. Uh, is I was talking to you about that show, um, Doomsday Preppers, right? <laughs> and, you know, I, I kind of, I wouldn't say I was anywhere near becoming a prepper on any level. But I just always kind of like, it's a very, they romanticize it quite a bit, you know, they like, do being prepared and fucking having all this cool tactical gear and you know you're going to be the one who stands out who comes out on top if the, the end of the world happens 
And then I asked your opinion on it once about preppers and, and your response was really cool. You were like, why would you want to live through the end of the world? Right. And that really stuck with me and it tied into your point of like anarchy, like life would be fucking terrible if, if civilization collapsed. A hundred percent. That's, that's why it, that's why it won't. It won't. I mean, people talk about the end of America and we're fought. No, we're not. We're just, things are changing just like they always have. And in times of change, there's always upheaval, right? Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I'm fond of, you know, I have a friend who's very, very concerned about what's happening in America now with the COVID thing and things like, um, in fact, he was the one who shared the Floyd story with me. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he's, he is legitimately concerned, like lying awake at night, worried that this is the imminent collapse of US, of the, of the American society. Right. And to, to me, what, what I've realized is like, I, what I try to tell him is that people have been taught, have been claiming it's, it's the end of the world since the beginning of time. Since, since civilization started, there's been a dude standing on a corner in fucking Athens with the placard saying, you know, the end is nigh. Called Christianity. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, even pre-Christianity. Joking, was, joking, <laughs> joking. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, you have a point, but to, to me, it's like... We'll be fine. Yeah, and, and I guess if, if it gets to that point that we're not fine, I mean, what are you going to do about it anyway? Not a damn thing. Yeah. Just because you have a bunker under your house, you can't stay there forever. So it just means it just means it'll get really terrible before you can come out. It's so and, uh, <laughs> that reminds me of another thing. You know, I'm probably gonna. You know, I want to make it clear. Mm -hmm. I'm not a fucking bleeding heart liberal on any level, right? I, I don't identify with any end of the political mm -hmm. spectrum. Mm -hmm. I just watch. Exactly. I just watch. Yep. I sit back and watch. I think that's. I honestly believe that's the most intelligent way to interact with mm -hmm. politics is just to watch it as a spectator. But still, and I mean, I still have some beliefs and opinions for sure, right? Of One of them is like, you know, I, I was talking to a friend of mine. Uh, he's a huge gun gun advocate. He loves guns, right? And let, I'll be honest, I, I like guns too. Like, cool. I think they're fucking cool. Yeah, they're like, cool. I mean, I don't want to go shoot anyone, but I think guns are cool pieces of tech and mm -hmm. I, I like the technology aspect of it. But there was an interesting, you know, a lot of these guys claim that, you know, guns being controlled is... Uh, their fear is that that's going to lead to the government, you know, um, having too much control or too much power over them and taking away their rights. And, and the, the idea that like, if an, the armed population makes the government think twice about initiating any of its, its reforms or any of its, its laws. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that for me, what I always just go back to is like, you, you get these militias. I always find it hysterical. Like these dudes are training out in, I don't know, but bumfuck nowhere. Yeah, yeah. In somewhere. And they, they, <laughs> <laughs> they think that because they know how to fire a semi-automatic rifle and do a few drills, that they could stand up to the might of the U.S. military. And it, to me, it's laughable. We have drones. Dr that's what I mean. That was the example I get. Like, if a hundred dudes, a militia forms somewhere in Utah and says, we're not going to pay our taxes and we're going to, we're receding from the union. I mean, dude, first of all, look, it probably won't even get to drones. They'll send in like a, a team of SEALs or something. And those dudes are good massive. Not yeah. even that. Not even that. We've already proved it. All they have to do is surround them for three months and they'll get mad and come out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Point, yeah. Make, just make it so they can't get a haircut for three months. They'll come out. Having said that, I know you and I probably have slightly different views on this. I mean, I, I don't like the idea of tyrannical government on any fucking level. I think that, I mean, that's what this country was founded on, right? Is, is people came here to get away from the tyrannical British government, right? And yeah. it does concern me a little bit, the the, the the growth of the surveillance state. And the, I see you, you don't agree, and I'd love to- Well, no, 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 I, it's not that I don't agree. I just think that that's an a, a inevitability, all right? The, the thing about, the, thing about the, the surveillance state is as technology gets more and more uh, advanced, it's easier to surveil people, you know what I mean? Here, here's, a, here's, a, here's an interesting question. You don't want to be trapped. Right? You don't want to be tracked and listened to. What do you got there? Yeah, so you're pointing to my phone and it tracks you and listens to you. I just got this I just got in this conversation with my ex wife. She was talking about five G and you know, Bill Gates wanting to put a microchip in your hand to pay for everything and track you and listen to you. And my question was two things. Number one, how can they force you to put a microchip in your hand when they can't even force people to vaccinate their children in America? Okay, so I'll I'll tell you how, right? Like this is a, this is an interesting topic to me. I, I grew up in a very fundamentalist Christian household, mm -hmm. and my mom was always talking about the end of the world and the rapture and the Antichrist and 
the mark of the beast, which was the microchip mm-hmm. that was going to, you know, and, and dude, I was fucking terrified of it for a long time mm-hmm. right, until I, I changed my belief system. So I know where your ex-wife's coming from, right? It is a scary prospect, right? I, I kind of, I get what that's built upon. But and now I'm of the opinion of, of a couple of things. The first is that if you've got nothing to hide, what you're worried about. Yeah, I never liked that. You didn't like that line. No, not, not that lie. I said I never liked that line. I should say, yeah, no, okay. no. Because you know what? My privacy is my privacy. Why do I need to worry about having anything to hide? Sure. Yeah. But I'm not talking so much about, yeah, like pri- privacy is one thing, but I'm saying like if if the Patriot Act is looking for uh, terrorists, right? Like, and I'm not a terrorist. I'm not really that worried about it. Yet. Yet. Remember this. You, you know, in America, it's considered terrorism if you go into a factory farm and film, right? I didn't know that. You see what I'm saying? So, so, so they can expand things to make a, anybody can be a terrorist if you make the, make the definitions correct. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that they're terrorists. I'm just talking about the definitions and, and the way our government looks at it. So I think one of the fears is expanding, the, expanding into a, a position of surveillance where you're a target too. You know what I mean? But again, dude, I'm a jujitsu coach. No one gives a damn about where I go. You know, I think we kind of have this uh, overblown sense of importance. Do you and and truthfully, truthfully, and it's not not, you know, anything. Do you think that the government gives a shit about where you're at at any time? No. But having said that, the government does care that I pay tax. Right. And rightfully so. I mean, I get I get it. But and with regards to the microchip thing, like when you said they, they wouldn't be able to get us to. Uh, they can't even get us to take a vaccine. It would be very different if suddenly you arrived at Walmart and you went to pay for your stuff, like your groceries, you're hungry. And at the, the till, there was a scanner that could only accept the chip, right? Like an RFID chip, right? Or NFC chip. Do you see how crazy people are getting because they're asked to wear a mask in a goddamn store? Okay, look, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. You can, you can. And that's what I'm saying. I'm, and that's why I'm, I'm bringing it back to, in my opinion, I'm bringing it back to real world because in real world, People don't want to wear a mask in a store during the pandemic. Do you think they're down to get a, chi- a, a microchip inserted in their body when they don't like vaccines? They automatically don't trust Bill Gates because he's doing 5G that's going to give us brain cancer or something. Yeah, I mean, the, the theory is, and again, I, I go back and forth on this. Some, some days I wake up and I'm like, Jesus, we, this is looking more and more like 1984. And other days I wake up and I'm like, why is it? What, what's everyone getting so worked up about? Right. So I go back and forth. It's it's interesting, man. I I think that like the, the the conspiracy guys would say that it's the frog in the pot type, you know, scenario that like they very 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 gradually like reel in freedoms and and or take away freedoms and change things. Like for example, now I mean, when was the last time you paid for something with cash? Because I know, fuck, dude, I can't even remember the last time I paid for something with cash. So it's been a long time for me, but there's a reason for that. Because I'm irresponsible, and if I have cash, I'm gonna spend all that. I, I seriously, I, I I don't have it for that. Fair enough, but. The thing is that, how is this the line? How is a chip in your hand a line? No one tripped in the Patriot Act. No one tripped in all all these other freedoms that we've lost, all these surveillances and all these things we've lost. It's chips in the hand that is a, 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 no, it's like not even a real, actual possibility right now. You know what I mean? Okay, so first of all, it it is a possibility. Like the the tech exists. No, no, no. No, I'm talking about a not an actual possibility as in you being mandated to do it. That's not a possibility in America. Yeah, no, I don't think it is either. A lot of things would have to change. For sure. I think why that's the line is because the idea of putting something into your body is so invasive and so disrespectful that people just freak the fuck out about it. That's what I believe. So they don't want the government to control your body? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So so that freedom, that's a bridge too far, but telling a woman what she can do with her body is okay. Yeah. You right. see what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm not I'm not making any judgments. I'm just saying, how is that the line? That's a good point. You see what I'm saying? Oh, that's the that's the line of body autonomy? You know what I mean? Very good point. And and I'm not again, I'm just I'm just making an observation. I'm just, you know, it's just we 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 throw lines arbitrarily where we have interest. Or or also where they intersect with our values, right? Yeah, yeah. For sure. I think that I think that more uh, a, a bigger possibility is that they'll just do an internet campaign and make people want to do it because people will do it if you put it on the internet. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. You know that's I mean? very true. Yeah. I think that's more of a more of a possibility, but I just don't think in my our lifetime it'll be I don't think even in my children's lifetime that they'll be able to mandate putting something in your body in America. Things yeah. have to go bad. Uh, look, I will say this. I think it's coming. I think that there will be a point in the future. It might be 3 or 4 generations from now 
that population is microchipped. I think that's pretty much inevitable. Maybe not in our lifetimes, but if I think in, in America, seriously, in America, because America is built on from the very beginning is you can't tell me what to do. Yeah, that's what I love about it. Yeah, it's kind of stupid at times. Though. It's kind of stupid at times. Well, yeah. it's, it's, it's good, but it's, 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 it's only good when it's tempered with actual knowledge, education, wisdom, and, and judgment, right? But that's not going away. That You can't tell me what to do is not going away anytime soon. Mm-hmm. We're not going to. There's no way. The, we had dudes protest with guns in state houses because they wanted a haircut. Do you really think that they're going to put stuff in our bodies mandatorily? So this thing about this, right? When this country was, was created... And again, you'll, you'll probably have to fill in some gaps for me because my, my understanding of the Constitution and the history of the United States is definitely not as strong as yours. But it, it's my understanding that they it was a group of colonists who wanted to get away from the heavy taxation by the British, right? So it was, it was founded on that premise of like, we don't want big government taxing us unnecessarily. And if you look at it now, and I'm not making a judgment on this all, but it has one of the most intrusive, powerful taxation systems in the world, right? Not like, even close. You don't think so? No, because our, our, okay, so our marginal tax rates look interesting, but what are the effective tax rates for everything? You can't look at marginal tax rates for, for, cause like your marginal tax rate might be 20%, but have you done your taxes in, I, I don't know, have you done taxes in the States before? Yes, I have. Yeah. Did you, were there a whole bunch of damn deductions and all that stuff? That you yeah, did? yeah. I mean, I've got an accountant, so fortunately I didn't have to do any of that. Well, but you see what I'm saying? There's a bunch of deductions and all that stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so. Well, they, I will say my first tax bill was way less than I thought it was going to be. Well, and and the thing is, and that, that just shows that your effective tax rate, what you got charged, is different than the marginal tax rate that's on paper for whatever you got paid because you had deductions. Mm-hmm. So that's why when people talk about how uh, industries tax the highest rate in the world, then how come Amazon could carry forward losses and they didn't pay any taxes last year? That's a good point. You know what I mean? So I, it's just talking points people have without actually, you know, studying the point. Yeah. And that's it was one of the reasons I love speaking to you is I, we'll, we'll talk about these things and you'll just drop like a, a, an example that just really changes the way I think about everything. I mean, uh, this friend of mine, he, he said we should have a, a flat rate of taxation, right? Favorite the rich. Yeah, you came up with a, a perfect fucking counter that, to, to, in my opinion. Can you just explain that again? It favors the rich because the thing is, if I and just as examples, if I make a thousand dollars, if the tax rate is ten percent, and I make a thousand dollars, and you make ten million dollars, you losing a million dollars, me losing a hundred dollars, who actually loses more? Sure, yeah. that's why it favors the rich. That's yeah, why I mean, it, a flat tax. it's weird. I never really thought about it in that way, but you know, it's it's such an interesting thing. Like there's this. There's this movement in, in in America, like, you know, that you can't tell me what to do thing is really interesting to me. And it was really rooted in my psyche because I grew up in South Africa, which, you know, even at a young age, I knew the government was shit, mm-hmm. right? Like I knew like the apartheid and like it was backward. And I just, I was like, these guys are fucking stupid. I just I somehow on, at a very young age, I just mm-hmm. figured out that this place had a backward, backward system of government mm-hmm. governance, right? And then I, in school, I remember thinking like, Obviously, I've tempered this a little bit because, you know, I was a little kid who thought he knew more than he did. But a lot of my teachers weren't very intelligent. Mm-hmm. And I just, I generally created this, I equated authority as a negative thing. Right? Yeah, I, it, yeah. it just, in my mind, it was like, you know, this bullying, like school principal or this bullying government that was being racist and, initi- and instituting apartheid. And so I kind of, when I was, especially a teen and then throughout my 20s, I was all into like libertarianism, right? And And like, it's just... You know, fuck, I don't want anyone involved and like big government gets, gets intrusive and they take too much of your money and they control you and blah, blah, blah. One of my best friends in the world is libertarian. Okay, cool. So you know what I'm talking about? Man, I've really, I've really swung a little bit more over to the other side because, you know, I just, I see capitalism left unchecked in what it does, mm-hmm. right? It, it, it doesn't lead to a good place, right? The, the free market doesn't, doesn't allocate things well, right? It, no. it means the, the most psychopathic, greediest motherfuckers are willing to tramp over you are the ones who rise to the top for that. And and I really, I don't like, I'm not saying I'm a socialist or a communist, but I think there has to be a kind of hybridized system that kind of, you know, uses the best parts of all of it, right? Like a social democracy. <laughs> something like that. Yeah, something like that. Or capitalistic, social, socialistic democracy. Right? Right. And, and, and the thing is, I'm not dogmatic. I'm not tied to any ideology. What's the best for the most people? The end. And I don't understand why, as America, we can't, get over ourselves to the point where we can just say, hey, okay, we have this problem. One country is doing this the best. Okay, they are. Let's see what they're doing and do it. Interesting, because that's the exact same observation I have about South Africa. 
you know, South Africa's basically fucked now because of lockdown. They they did some, they put in some really stupid policies that have ruined the economy. Um, and again, the thing about South Africa that they always do over and over again is instead of just looking at what's been done in a far more developed country, they come up with these harebrained schemes. I think that schemes, I think since the end of apartheid, they've had seven different education systems, right? Seven. It's changed seven times in less than 30 years, right? And none of those have, instead of just saying, okay, well, clearly we don't know how to do this. Let's just copy Australia or Sweden or whatever. Mm-hmm. They always come up with these harebrained schemes. And I, I think there's something to be said for, um, I mean, the term is modeling, right? When you look at someone who does something or, or a, an organization that does something mm-hmm. successful and you basically just copy it, yeah. right? To me, there's, that's a smart way of doing things, right? Yeah. To a point, obviously, that, that stifles innovation, but... No, well, the thing is, on certain, on certain things like education, I think innovation comes from experience. You know what I mean? If you model like the best countries in the world and you learn, you have lessons learned from when you failed and you lessons learned from when you, you, you succeed, you're going to be able to have a pattern. Of, hey, this is what works. This is what doesn't work out of, out of a period of time. You know, I think really one of the biggest uh, blocks to, to, to things like that is just greed because education in America, public education in America is controlled by property tax rates. Right. So that's automatically unequal. Right. Because think about this. And this is what I talked to one of my good friends about. My father was born in South Carolina in 1942. And my one of my good friends, his father is about the same age, but he was but he was born in Denver. White guy born in Denver around the same time. And I asked him, I said, OK, so on average, did your father and my father have the same um, opportunities for education? And he said, no. no. OK, so then you, did you have the same opportunity for earning? No way. So then did you live in the same level of neighborhood? So if you're not in the high, same level of neighborhood, lesser neighborhood with lesser property tax, then the higher neighborhoods with higher property tax are going to be better. You can see it here. Go up, go up north and look at those high schools up there. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's, and- it's, this comes back. I, I had a, I was having an argument with my wife um, yesterday, actually, because uh, we were watching this new series about Jeffrey Epstein on, mm-hmm. um, on Netflix. Right. And the argument basically, I, I made the comment based on an observation of yours, which is, that rich rich people don't go to jail in America, right? Like yeah. you have to go, you have to go, you have to be Bill Cosby bad. Yeah, you have to be real bad. And so I said to I said to my wife, I asked her to pause it, and I said to her, the thing that blows my mind, and the thing that to me is a symptom of this sickness, or, or what could be done better in American society, is the fact that this guy, the only reason Jeffrey Epstein is not or, or wasn't convicted earlier, because I mean he was doing that shit since the nineties, right? Yeah. And there were reports on him, and the cops were investigating him. The only reason he didn't go to jail is because he had money, right? And she said she did, she disagreed. She said it's it's because he had money and he was smart, which we actually got into a pretty bad argument about this. We don't argue often, but I, I disagree with that. I don't think it was because he was smart. I think it was just the money. And the example I used is there's plenty of smart middle class people, right? Plenty of, of academics who have PhDs, mm-hmm. right? Who do bad stuff, right? Who get caught fiddling with kids mm-hmm. and, and, and they all go to jail, dude. They all fucking go to jail. The only difference is they don't have the money. Well, one more little thing. So it's also who you know. So so um, about Epstein, you know, Epstein got hired without a college degree. Epstein got hired as a uh, teacher at a private school, mm-hmm. right? The man that hired him, Attorney General Bill Barr's dad. Wild. It's about who you know. And I'm not getting conspiratorial. I'm just saying that if, if the attorney general of the United States or the, he's, he's attorney general now, but he wasn't always, but his dad hired that guy to be a teacher at a private school with no education. Wild. Yeah. I mean, if you know enough people, you can get out of lot of stuff. Sure. Sure. And usually dudes have a lot of money, know a lot of people, right? Like this is a correlation between those two. And I think it explains away a lot of conspiracy. The fact that, I mean, look, I help the people in my network. I go out of my way to help. hundred percent. Yeah. That's, that's, that's all it is. And like, there was a period, there was one time back in my military career where I was accused of something, right? The only reason that I, and I didn't do it, but the only reason that I didn't get in trouble for it is because my boss, the, the general, he liked me. Wild. Even though I didn't do it. Yeah. The only reason I didn't get in trouble is because the boss liked me, sure. you know? So it's not about what you know. It's about who you know. And money gives you access to important people sure. in America. Yeah, yeah. It's it's wild. And I think that that's unfortunate, right? Like, 
I, I don't know when that uh, that that's never that's, that's never going to change. It's never going to change that aspect of human no. nature. But I, like I think you might have said it to me once: the only way we're going to fix, really fix America, is to get money out of politics. Yeah, and um, there's a couple there's a couple other things though. So I I I really used to think that I could be a voice of change of racism. I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe that anymore. What I believe because let me say this correctly. I think that if there's ever a problem within a certain community, the voices within the community have to be louder in protest than the voices without. Because the thing is, I can get mad about police killing unarmed black people left and right. But the louder I yell, I'm just a more angry black guy. You know what I mean? Until people's moms and aunts and uncles and dads and brothers are like, hey, dude, don't say that. That's that's racist. Or why are you doing that? That's racist. What's wrong? Or this this bothers me as much as it bothers you. Sure. That's when that's when a lot of problems will stop in America. Yeah. That's when a lot of problems will stop in America. Yeah. Well, let's hope that day comes sooner rather than later, brother. <laughs> you don't look confident. No, I'm not. I'm not. Um, just because people are still more angry about the protest than the actual reason for the protest. And a lot of a lot of a lot of people will post Facebook posts about the protest being, you know, riots and this and that. And Martin Luther King, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, said that a riot is the protest of the un- I mean, a riot is the voice of the unheard. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you ask for just you ask for justice and you're unheard, where are you going to go? That's a very interesting uh, observation. A riot is the the voice, the voice of the unheard. Yeah, that's powerful. Gee, what man, it just blows me away. Your your how educated and informed and logical your perspectives are. And I just, I, I love talking to you about this stuff. I sit around all day and don't have a job, man. It's easy. <laughs> <laughs> we should, I should make it clear. It's not because he's a bum. He's retired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a retired bum. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chief, for your time. Thank you very much. Such an interesting and intelligent human being. And, you know, when I go to Gerald's house, which is where that episode was recorded, I've got a, a portable little podcasting set up now that I'm going to be using a lot more when I'm out with friends and and on trips and stuff. Um, and when I'm with Gerald at his house, we just have these long conversations and they they flow so easily. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm just blown away by how astute his observations are. And uh, he's one of the people in my life one of the first people I go to when I want a perspective on on world events. And I just am so happy to have people like that in my life. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Just a quick reminder, if you want to operate at your absolute best, go check out my new site, my new business, 100%, which is founded at 100%.health and have a look at our first product, the best damn nootropic formula on the market, BDNF. Use the code BDNF25 at checkout and you'll get it for 25% off and you'll improve your memory, you'll improve your cognition, your thought speed, and also you'll probably be in a way better mood. Until next time, guys, peace out. 